Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And today we're going to be discussing three kinds of Olympic activities. First, fast pools. Second, can you hit a target, an archery target, if you have no arms? We'll check that out at mid-segment. at mid -segment. And we're going to end with the one and only Dr. Skateboard, a new feature of the Olympics this year. Uh, the 2020 Olympics, of course, being contested in 2021. I got with me the one and only Gary O'Reilly. Gary. Hi, Neil. Good to be here. Dude, Neil. dude. Yeah. I, I was tell, telling people I stumbled. Uh, you got a wiki page of you yeah. and, and the time you were a pro, a pro, a pro footballer yep. over in the UK. Mm -hmm. I'm very yeah. proud of that. So congratulations on that. And you also were a sports commentator there before you joined Star Talk. Yep. And I'd like to think you're still a sports commentator. I still so am. Thank you. Yes. Share, sharing that expertise with us. I could not find a wiki page on Chuck Nice. Oh. We got to work on that. Chuck. That's because I don't I don't have legs as nice as Gary. <laughs> oh, is that what that is? <laughs> yeah, man. When you when you when you go to Gary's wiki page, he's in some short shorts. And I'm like, who wears short shorts? <laughs> Gary wears I do. Gary wears short shorts. And that my man has got some gams on him, baby. He's got some great he's got some great legs. So uh, so Chuck, you're a, a comedian and a longtime Star Talk co-host uh, and an actor of late, but delighted to see you in all these things, and Thanks. and I just wanted you to know that we knew you when, okay, as you as you ascend. Um, yeah, well, you, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going okay. anywhere. All right. Yeah, you can't you can't get rid of me okay. that easy. <laughs> yeah. Like Chuck got a couple TV shows and he's gone. I I'm know. Like, <laughs> I'm like this. No, I'm not. I'm right. I'm right here. And I swear <laughs> I saw you in a Tide commercial with your with your daughter. So you're you're, yes. you're everywhere now. Yeah. That's good. Very good. Rocking Keep it. that going. Keep it going. So we're going to talk about the Olympics, which dates back to, of course, ancient Greece, when I think life was simpler, but I bet back then they didn't think so. Uh, no one ever said, gee, life is simple today. No one has ever said that ever. You have to look back on it and say it was simple then and they didn't even know it. But generally... Yeah, except we, we look back on their life and we go, God, we have it so good. <laughs> uh, so the, the modern Olympics, which is what it's called, dates back to 1896. And they tried to sort of jumpstart the traditions of ancient Greece. Uh, some sports were, uh, all the ones then were included, I think, if not all of them. And, but some were added. And, of course, the ones most people cared about in the day were track and field. And today, many, many more events are part of this, this, uh, uh, this contest, uh, this every four-year contest. And for this first segment, we're going to talk about swimming pools. Uh, swimming, that's one of the, the events as a, as a category where records seem to be dropping all the time. Every Olympics. And it's like, what are they, it's, it's some, did something change with the water? Is there some, is there something about the bathing suit? Is the, is, is it the ball head that you shave? What's going on there? And so what we need is someone who's thought about this. Uh, an engineer. This is Star Talk. So we're going to bring some, we're going to, Science the shit out of this, as as Matt Damon said, from the surface of Mars, mm -hmm. or at least his character did. And we've got an old friend of the show, Judd Reedy. Judd, welcome back to Star Talk. Hey Neil, hey guys, thank hey, you for having me back. You're based at Georgia Tech, That's and correct. Georgia, uh, uh, I think even your campus uh, co-hosted the 1996 Olympics, home with of the, the Olympics, city of, 1996, indeed, uh, with the city of Atlanta. I'd love it. And uh, your deputy director of innovation initiatives for the Georgia Tech Institute for Materials. This materials is one of the hidden things. Yep. It's not purposefully hidden, but just no one thinks about it. It doesn't make headlines, but new stuff shows up on the shelf with new, new properties. And I think of you every time that happens. I just want you to know. Thank okay. you. I was we're thinking trying. of you yesterday when we were, because you know we always have the dossier on everybody. And I was like, I wonder as the chief like research engineer, do, do you ever come up with something and go, Oh no, this is too good. I gotta keep this. <laughs> we do that a little bit oh. with patents. We do keep it to ourselves just a little bit, but not forever. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because right. yeah, yeah, as your principal research engineer at the at the Georgia Tech Research Institute, GTRI, not quite an acronym, 
but we'll we'll take it because good stuff happens there. So let me ask you something. Swimming pools, uh, you know, if, if you see somebody with like eight gold medals around the neck, they probably got it for swimming. And in recent years, we think of Katie Ledecky and Michael Phelps, of course. And so... Well, Michael pool- Phelps doesn't count. He has gills. <laughs> Michael Phelps is related to that that whatever that thing was in the shape of water. That, <laughs> that, that fish, that that fish guy. Oh, you're talking about the movie. The movie. That the movie. movie, yeah. If you ever look at Michael Phelps, he almost kind of looks like that little sea monster. <laughs> and I think he's got big flappy feet, too. Like, they might as well just be webbed, you know. <laughs> so so let's... <laughs> Let me ask, what's what's going on? Are we just getting better, or is something happening on the back end of that where the pools are getting faster? And if they're getting faster, how does it get fast? It's just water. I know the properties of water from chemistry and physics. What are you? What's going on? And I know you've been thinking about this. Yeah, it's it's all of it. It's uh, the materials as well as just the technology for the pool. The main problem with uh, the water is the resistance created by the other swimmers. If we just ran one swimmer at a time, a lot of this technology we introduced wouldn't be necessary. But when you put eight lanes of swimmers, big, huge, you know, six foot strapping men and women in there, um, they displace a lot of water and create waves. And those waves uh, create friction, create resistance to- Wait, excuse me, not if you're in the lead. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but only if you do the uh, single- Single length. As soon as you make a turn, you're right. Yeah. When you turn, come back. Oh, you got everybody else's wake who just who's still, yeah, who's behind you, right? All Sometimes right. that's a good thing though, having that wake behind you. One of Phelps Phelps's medals was uh, achieved by uh, one of his teammates in the relay, uh, riding the wake of the uh, who was then the world record holder from France, riding his wake, and then right at the last minute, surfing over top of the wake and, and several powerful strokes and winning it. You can see it right on the footage. It's pretty impressive. Wow. So wait, wait. So so you're saying some some of the disturbing? Wait, wait. Yeah, so, yeah basically, yeah. Lazo, it's, it's, he was in the fourth leg. Lazo's aquatic the drafting. Leg. Yep. Right. Exactly right. Just like geese go do the same thing when they're going through the air. Uh, he was doing the same thing. You can see him move over towards the, the lane line. Um, yeah, but the geese didn't take your course at Georgia Tech, so no, they just uh, know it innately, like a lot of Georgia Tech <laughs> students do. Ah! They got the max. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Giving that uh, shout yeah, out. They don't, they fly they over don't campus, get to Florida right? and get a medal. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if the wake, if the waves, if all of this turbulence in the pool is your major problem, and we've built pools out of concrete forever and ever and ever, it seems, how has it been overcome? Yeah, there's three different ways uh, that we do it here at Georgia Tech. And we've got the fastest pool in the United States. Uh, the first is that we've got tremendous pumping power to recirculate the water. You want to recirculate an Olympic-sized pool every at least every four hours to keep the algae growth and everything down. So that's 60 gallons at least per second. Wait, don't tell me the algae prevents you from swimming faster. I don't believe it. Do, it, it does because you want to pump and keep the water clear. And so by pumping that water so fast, um, you've got gutters to extract it, and then you have to return it to the pool. And so uh, those... Re- so are you saying that it creates a jet current. stream Yeah, if you water? swim in any pool, there's current that, that, that circulates the, the water for, for filtration. And if we did that in this pool with 60 gallons per second, we would create a very noticeable current that the inside and outside lanes would, would experience. And so instead, we send it through the bottom through these things called rosettes, which is like a mushroom that allows the water to come up and sweep everything to the side. So that cuts down on those currents. The other is, is the gutter system, that the waves... Uh, as the wave reaches the wall, it falls off into the gutter uh, rather than hitting the wall and bouncing back. Uh, and then the third, third thing is... Because waves just love to reflect off of surfaces. They I do. mean, and that's waves, we, and, and waves and surfaces go way back. And yeah. the depth of the pool is important as well for that wave. Um, the Olympic pool here, as well as Tokyo, they're three meters deep. So that's like 10 feet, nine feet. Um, and anything... A, a quick question. Is that the depth that the water polo folks work in? Yeah, all, all the all the Olympic pools are always yeah, it's both as well as the uh, the rhythmic um, swimming. The diving pool is actually five meters deep because you don't want to hit the bottom for that, of course. So got a little extra. If you've down. got those side drains, Judd, then that means the pool has to be completely full. Overfull, in fact. Oh, when these you, you know when yeah. these eight strapping young men and women jump into this pool, they displace that equal volume of water, just like if you dropped an ice cube. In, in a glass of water. So that's all you think you are Archimedes here? Who you, mm-hmm. you should, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Me taking, I'm taking that you got to get rid of the, the water. And so, so what but, stops it flooding? So you, you have to keep sucking that away every time that they're doing it. So you really have to have a, a complete 
system. Yep. It's a it's a full full circle, fully enclosed system that's that's overfilled slightly because you don't want air to get entrained into the uh, suction system because uh, that'll create cavitation on your on your impellers or your pump and can cause uh, uh, those to break down uh, prematurely as well. So what uh, you're saying is you your system dampens the waves as they hit the wall, okay? Yep. But it can't do anything about the waves until they get there. So if you're in lane one and lane eight or whatever the edge lanes are, you're going to feel everybody else's wave before no. it gets deadened to your left. Sorry, Neil. No, they, they've got those uh, paddle wheel uh, lane uh, dividers. And in fact, here at, uh, at ARPA, we actually use two side by side so that the paddle wheels absorb the wake from the lanes immediately uh, adjacent Whoa. to you. And, and, uh, oh, so those serve a purpose. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was just to show those guys where spin. to go. And they're not, if you look at them, they're not, they're not stationary. They spin as the wave wow. them, and that absorbs that energy and, and wow. prevents it from going over there. We found uh, the reason why we get set so many records at this very pool is that we use two lane lines uh, along there to, to dampen it even further. All right, so why doesn't every pool have this? Yeah. Secret stuff. I guess we filed a patent on it or something. Or now everybody knows. Oh, yeah, but then why, don't they, then, then why don't they discount the gold medals, the, the world records at your pool? Uh, we didn't start doing that actually until uh, a couple years ago, in, in fact, um, after this wake uh, surfing incident that uh, occurred uh, and people became kind of aware of this. Uh, that was in the early 2000s uh, when Phelps was winning those. And so, um, like we didn't have, if you look at the footage from 1996 Olympics, not only is there a single lane line, but uh, the starting blocks have changed as well. Uh, yeah. The starting blocks there are, are flat, uh, whereas now they're inclined. Why? Uh, uh, why didn't anyone figure out that you might want to incline the starting blocks long ago? Yeah, crazy, are, right? So the, yeah, because so, you're so pushing the, off of something. I mean, in track, like nobody starts flat. Right, they, right. They, so why, why did this take so long to figure yeah. out? Well, the first starting block was 1936. The Berlin Olympics was literally just a wooden box that was bolted to the to the pool deck. And that's what they stuck with. For It got slightly better when they started using metals. Um, but it, up until the 96 Olympics, it was still just essentially a box, but a metal flat surface uh, that had an anti-slip surface on top of it. And... So you needed to dig with your toes yeah. to grab onto the edge. And so I went back and looked at the footage, and all the swimmers, except for a couple, are always two-footed on the front, curling their toes over, where there's only a few uh, sprinter styles. But And after that Olympics, they incline, first they inclined the surface to, to add it, and then they added an additional incline, so it was two inclines, so something to push off with. And so, yeah, you're starting with that extra oomph, just to like a sprinter. When you say two inclines, you mean for the two different feet? Yeah. No, well, yeah. So, so one foot's on on that, and one foot's pushing on the back back pedal. So you're like a sprinter in a track. Exactly right. Uh, okay, very cool. All right, Judd, does your pool have ten lanes or eight lanes? Yeah, all Olympic pools have ten lanes, but you lane zero and lane nine are not occupied. Uh, but that would reduce the impact on the swimmers on the outside lanes. Am I correct in thinking like that, Ben? Uh, yes, they do not have that that swimmer. So you would want want those. Though there's downsides in that depending if you're a right-handed breather or a left-handed breather sometimes you're not able to see your competition perhaps on the, the critical final leg so that would be the main main thing probably what, what is the best lane because the and why do they always give the fastest to the best guy? i'm superstitious always with horses and everything i pick lane four so i would pick lane four but you know i, I think a lot of it depends on just uh your training and your strategy and like even though we're introducing these things and uh, good swimsuits. Uh, there's a lot of biomechanics that, that go into it. So we can provide all these things, but when it comes right down to it, it's the human uh, in the loop that's, that really makes a difference. Well, wait, but then you wouldn't have a job. So let's stick with the sure. technology. Sure, sure. <laughs> what, that what, are we got to actually bring this to a, to a close, but it's been a delight to have you back on. And sorry, there's only one segment because there's a lot we've been covering for our Olympic, um, the attention we've been giving to the Olympics. But um, like I said, you're in one of my favorite fields, material science. And the more people know about what you do, the, I think the better off we'll all be. So we're going to keep on thanks. keeping you happy, Chuck and, and Neil. <laughs> so thanks again for being on Star Talk. And when we come back, we're going to talk to an ace archer who happens to not have arms when Star Talk returns.
We're back, StarTalk Sports Edition. We're talking about the Olympics, a series of these programs where we're just trying to figure out what's going on, how does it work, and all the ways that science might be informing it. So, so Gary, who do you have for this segment? We have the most wonderfully interesting athlete, Paralympian, Matt Stutzman. Uh, won silver in the London Olympics in 2012. Um, Guinness World Record holder for the most accurate arrow shot at a target over distance by any individual. 310 yards. That's three football fields all in a line and, and then some. And then some. Right? Now, Team Gold in the Para-Panolympic Games and an individual silver in the Para-Paralympic Games. Okay, Matt, welcome welcome to Star Talk, dude. Uh, thanks for having me. So if I'm going on a hunting trip, I'm taking you. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down. Do you ever hunt? Do you do you go bear hunting with a bow? Uh, you know what? I haven't <laughs> I haven't bear hunted yet because I feel like um, if I don't do good, he will chase me down and try to eat my arms off or something <laughs> like that. I, I can't I can't afford to lose any more appendages. But <laughs> yeah, no more limbs limbs for you. Uh, let me ask: Could you just explain um, how? Forgive my naivete here, but how do the Paralympics work? I presume. Each sport has its own rules about what needs to be your circumstances in order to participate. So uh, in the case of the Paralympics archery, how, what are the rules about that? Uh, so the division that I'm in um, is basically they're looking at uh, the least amount of disability possible. So pretty much everybody in my group of, let's say, 100, all of them have most of their disabilities are from the waist down, whether they're paralyzed and have to be in a wheelchair or they lost a leg and they have to stand on a prosthetic. Um, there's different categories, but that's the most competitive category. And that's where I want to be because I just want to be the best. Yeah, well, I mean, really, you're just showing off. <laughs> that's what he's doing. I mean, that's what he's doing let's there. Let's be honest. I mean, here's a guy you who's know just it. like, yeah, I have a prosthetic leg and, you know, I can hit a target from 100 yards. And you're like... Uh, bro, I don't have arms. <laughs> I don't have arms, I have arms and I hit and a target. I can do that from three, and I can do it from three times the distance. <laughs> so bite that. How about the, you know, yeah, he, he wins every argument yeah, there ever no was. There's no argument to have, man. Hands down, you know. Okay, Matt, I, I, uh, let's row back a little bit here. Um, this Guinness Book of Records, which you own outright, um, someone was saying to me that when you attempted this, because of the crosswinds, you had to aim at an air conditioning unit on a building in a completely different place to hit the target. What is going on? So that the air, so that the so that the air would move it onto the target, and you have to know that in advance. Yeah. Is that what happened yeah, there? So the rules state you have to use a sixty-pound bow, and you only get three attempts, you know, ever to make it. You have to call your ship. Wait, wait, wait! Just wait for the non-archers. When you say sixty pounds, that's the force necessary to pull right. the string. To draw back the bow, Okay, yes. not that the bow weighs 60 pounds, Correct. just to be clear. Correct. Okay. Right. That is the, the kinetic energy of... that pushes the arrow forward is 60 pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it weighed 60 Very... pounds, you'd be Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely need bigger arm muscles for that one. But so, yeah. yeah, so to figure out how to shoot that far away, when you do the math, you have to aim at a certain angle uh, you know, like whether it's like 32 degrees or whatever that is, and you have to calculate the arrow speed. And you, and so for me, it just so happened that where I needed to aim to calculate all this to actually hit the bullseye, I aimed at an air conditioning unit across the street at like a high-rise building. It, it, it happened to be like right in the perfect place. So I was aiming at that. In all my calculations, that's where it ended up being. So, so you're not only an ex expert bowman, you're a sniper too. I'm a bowman intuitive scientist that was yeah, calculating. No, but that's the that is the, the that's the hallmark of a great sniper is that you're that, able you need, to adjust for uh, crosswinds and and mm -hmm. distance, man. No, we need a poster. We we need a poster with Matt with the with the target hit and the and the caption just says, "Do the math." <laughs> See, Chuck, I just thought you'd ask the simple question, how many times did you hit the air conditioning unit? 
Uh, <laughs> that's a Chuck. Chuck, you should have. That was you, Chuck. That was uh, you. Dropped that I one, did, Chuck. I did. Chuck. I, so Matt, I missed, how many times did you hit the air conditioning? <laughs> <laughs> well, he killed three people in that oh, apartment God, building was, uh, before. Yeah, the, so, so real quick, they never actually found out it was me because I don't leave fingerprints to prove it was me. Oh, yeah. ooh, yeah. Yeah. I told you he was a sniper. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wait, wait, so Matt, I, I'm, I, let me ask another naive question, and forgive me if this sounds sort of ableist, right? So um, do you have an advantage over those who would have lost their arms later in life? You having been born with no arms, so you only ever have known life with no arms. Ab absolutely, there's an advantage. Uh, it's, it's funny because when I first got into archery, they're like, there's no way you can shoot a bow. You have no arms. It's impossible. You have to use your arms to shoot a bow. Well, then I, I started shooting a bow, and then they're like, wow, that's like... I'm and you, and you, wait, wait, and you aimed at them. <laughs> Here's how I can't shoot. Right. Wow, that would be a great argument. There's no way you can shoot a bow. Oh! Oh, damn! Damn, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> the last words on his tombstone. Right. I, I guess I was wrong. It's funny because uh, when I first started shooting, there was a uh, there was a uh, like a TV show like that does spoof um, like uh, news, and they said armless man wins silver, but shot several people along the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, so, all right. Uh, it was funny, but um, yeah. So when I started, but your brain has never known arms, right. so you're not fighting a pre expectation of what you can yeah. do. So if they tested my brain and they said that the average person's brain, uh, the area of their brain that controls their feet, motor skills is the size of a pea and mine's like the size of like a softball. Wow. Whoa. So I was able to train my brain Whoa. to do all this extra stuff with my feet. You know, it probably just said, we don't need hands. Let's just throw that chunk of the brain out and we'll use that to store foot stuff, I guess. So no, that, wait, wait. So for those only hearing this, uh, we I can describe that. You're looks like you're sitting in some kind of a garage workshop, and there's some badass looking vehicle uh -huh. over your left shoulder. What, what what's going on in that? What is it? Is that a, a is that a safe house? Is that a bunker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where are you? Do you know something? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> where I keep, it's where I keep my arms. Um, that way, the people in the house will think I can't do anything. But. Uh, oh, yeah, there you go. So when I'm mm -hmm. not shooting my bow, I love cars, and I love working on cars. I do almost all the work myself. And what's behind me right here is uh, my race car that I just got done building and fixing up. So tell me what. Tell me about some of your science background. Uh, you 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 sound at you you sound sufficiently physics fluent. So that tells me you must have had some physics in your portfolio. <laughs> well, to be honest, not not a lot. A lot of it was just kind of like self-taught growing up. Uh, I lived on a farm. That that works too. Yeah, that I, works too. I lived on a farm, and I had to a lot of times think of how I was going to do it. Like for example, I remember I was like eight years old, and my dad said I needed to carry this five-gallon bucket of feed out to the trough, and I had to figure out how I was going to take a board and put it across from one feed bucket, and then stand up underneath it and balance it. And I had to figure out like. I was out there with a measuring stick trying to find the middle of the stick so when I lifted up on it, it wouldn't fall, you know? So there was things like that throughout my whole life that I had to rely on, like, physics and math to just kind of overcome things, really. So, Matt, you're yeah. a father of three boys, right? So how do, you, how do you do the super dad hero at home while you prepare to go to a Paralympics in Tokyo and race a car? Yeah. You know, what's amazing about my boys is just, like, they don't know any different. This is who they know. This is their dad. They go along with my craziness, whether I'm shooting my bow, working on cars. Uh, they just support me. In fact, they are one of the biggest motivations in my life and why I push myself to where I'm at because without them pushing me, I mean, that's honestly how I fell into archery in the first place because I nobody would hire me and I, and I couldn't figure out how to get a job because people would say, you have no arms and so they wouldn't hire me. So... I found archery to put food on the table for them. So if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't have done this. I would have been trying to figure out something else. So, Wow, man. That's you know, I'm reminded of an episode. Um, thanks for mentioning the family there, Gary, because that reminded me. An ep I don't know if it was Twilight Zone or One Step Beyond, one of these sort of half-hour short story format TV series 
from the 1960s where there's this kid, middle school kid or younger, in school, and in their art class, they, they're modeling clay. And they had to make a, a clay model of their hero. And so one person did Superman and then Thor. And one person just, I'm doing my father, okay? And he's doing this clay thing, and he, and he only gave it one arm. And the teacher says, no, put the other arm in. No, this other. And then later on, the teacher meets the father, and the father has just got one arm. And it was like, oh, my gosh. And that father you know? went to go on and star in The Fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck has got this open. No, but the point is, like you said, that if, 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 if that just is life and you don't know any different, you're not in a position to judge it. or It just is, and then you live life. Right. And celebrate life for being alive. Yeah, so let me ask you this. When it comes to... And you know, I, just, I got to throw this out okay. there. And I've, I've tweeted this too, because I've been thinking about this a long time, and I thought, I wonder if octopuses pity humans for how few limbs we have, because <laughs> they've got eight. So, I mean... So when you shoot, <laughs> what, what are the mechanics behind you shooting? Yeah. Yeah, take us through what that okay, is. So how about... Um, as I'm explaining it, I can also show you. Nice. Oh my gosh! Sweet. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Just very sweet. Okay, it. okay. Mm-hmm. And do it, and and uh, because many people will only hear this. If you can be a little descript- more descriptive than you otherwise would be. Okay, so this right here is a release aid that I had made. This is the only modification that I use to shoot my bow. So when you look at a bow, or when you're listening, or in your mind, visualizing a bow, I'm shooting a normal bow that you would buy off the shelf that you would use to shoot with your hands. So, like, they didn't mm. specifically make this bow for me whatsoever. Cool. And and that's and that's legit. There's that within yep. the rules. Everything's within the rules. So, and even even this thing that's on my shoulder right here is within the rules. So, I put on a. It's a, a kind of a yoke around your shoulders. Strap that goes of. underneath my armpits and uh, across my chest, and then I tighten it up. And over my right shoulder, I have a release aid that looks like a trigger of maybe like a gun or something like that. And it has a long bar. Mm -hmm, That mm -hmm. bar goes on my chin. So when I'm aiming, I pull with my shoulder that applies pressure to that little trigger, which allows the bow to shoot. Uh Okay. And and so is this, uh, but is it your chin or your teeth that, that, Engage that. Chin. So I put it in my mouth right. to hook it onto the bow. Then you hook it onto the bow, and, and then you as you mm-hmm. pull back with your shoulder, that causes the bow to come back. But then all you have to do is put your chin down Correct. on the release, yep. and then the hook pulls up, yep. and bang. Bang. So, so this bow that I'm going to use right now is a bow that I'm actually going to use at the games, um, and it is shooting a little itty-bitty skinny arrow and i know you guys are into this stuff but this this arrow weighs 429 grains okay well mm. it shoots out of my bow at 200 miles per hour ow oh my god so literally as i fire the bow when you guys see this what by the time this arrow hits the target which is only going to be about three or four feet away from me it's already doing 200 miles per hour so it would be at 200 miles an hour the instant it separates from the string. Sheesh. And so because that's the last moment where it's getting any energy that you supplied yeah, it. that is correct. And then the rest is just is aerodynamics and gravity yes. at that point. It, it does. Okay, so now you're seated. It does slow down over a period of 310 yards, but you have to calculate that into, you know, how much is it going to slow down. I know when I did that shot, it was about a six-second arrow flight. It took about Damn. six seconds. Okay, so you had to... So you had to shoot wherever that uh, air conditioner was. It was surely high, high to the side of the target because of the crosswinds, but also had to have been above the target because you have to yeah. allow the, the arrow to drop. Yeah, it was about uh, 20, I think it was like a 28 or 30, it might have been a 32 degree angle that I was aiming in the air. So 32 degrees up, like, like that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... I rest the bow for people who can't see. Uh, I rest the bow against my left leg, and I'm sitting in a, a, a chair. I use my right foot to pick up the arrow and load it onto the bow like that. I then use my right leg and grab the bow, and I pick it up, and I sit gentleman style where I cross my legs. So it kind of brings my right foot up to my chest. At this point, 
I take my release aid and I bend down to the string and I hook it on. Wow. Like that. And now that it's hooked on, I pick the bow up with my right foot. And uh, so now it's a very weird, awkward yoga position. Okay. So at this point, I'm going to take my right foot and push it away from my chest. Like that. And now you're now you're getting that 60 pounds of force. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys can see all that, but that's what it looks like. Okay? So mm -hmm. then I aim at the target, bring the trigger up to my jaw, and then I add pressure until it shoots. Bam. Just like that. Bam. Mm. Look and at that. That results in bullseyes and medals and lots of smiles. <laughs> so you, wow. you've got to do that you've got a set number of arrows to release in a set period of time that's intense how are you controlling how are you able to dial yourself down and focus in the middle of competition um so you shoot 72 arrows for qualification and you shoot six arrows at a time and you get four minutes to shoot each six arrow group and then you go score them pull them and stuff but when i do mm. that I'm so in the zone that when I like when I draw my bow back, I don't know who's around me. You know, I, I practice the timing. Uh, I do a lot of mental prep. Uh, what a good shot feels like. So, the distance that we'll shoot in um, Tokyo is 50 meters. Right. And the bullseye. Oh, that's nothing for you. Damn. The bullseye is smaller than. Just, they should just hand you the medal and then you <laughs> hey, keep you a. Know what? I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the bullseye is, is smaller than a CD. So a okay. perfect a perfect score is 720 points and the world record is 705. And uh, the last several months or so, I've been shooting to practice about 708 to 712 range. Oh, 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 wow. so you're getting ooh, this. We're going to be yeah. watching your ass. Oh, my gosh. I got, this year's been amazing for me as far as mentally. I, I just got back from trials and beat the old world record by 12 points or no over, nice. 20, wow. over 20 points Ooh. is what the, the, the new Ooh. so i now own the new world record so that's amazing oh, that's two world records so so just nice. in, just in uh, comparison if you guys want to know so um i average like 700 points at 50 meters okay the number one ranked able-bodied archer um in the world shoots for United States of America. And on the same day, on the same field, uh, when they were shooting their scores, they shot a 704 maybe. And I shot 700. So that, I'm only like three or four points off the number one able-bodied archer in the world. So as a comparison. Right. Damn. Yeah, well, there is no comparison. You make him look like dog food. <laughs> Let's be real here. So, so, Matt, when you when you rock up, do you all of a sudden get a lot of attention because of who you are? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, uh, do the other athletes get a similar sort of attention, and does that kind of blow them out? But for you, you seem to have grown, obviously, into this attention. And is it... Is it, you know, what well, I've been here before. I'm, I'm not yeah. phased by this. Or um, do you yes. see the other athletes getting kind of outside of their comfort zone with the attention? Oh, for sure. You know, uh, what? one thing that's interesting is I've been my whole life used to attention. And what I mean by that is, is it could be negative attention too. Like people making fun of me because I have no arms right. or like I'm at a restaurant. Especially as yeah, a kid. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I'm, especially as I'm a kid. Like eating yeah. you know, in a restaurant with my feet and everybody in the restaurant staring at me, right? So my whole right. entire life, I've been able to say, you know what? I don't care what they think. I'm going to do me. None of that bugs me. Like, I don't care. I'm going to block them out. So when it comes to archery and I get into that on the, on the stage of it, it means something and we have thousands of people watching – I don't even know that they're there. Whereas let's say for you, let's say, let's say I'm shooting, you know, against Gary or something. He's never been in that situation. Right. So you shot yeah, really yeah. good and now you're mm -hmm. shooting for a gold medal, but you've never shot in front of 10,000 people before. So there is an advantage yeah. there for me, yeah. you know, because I've been yeah. dealing with it my whole life and they haven't been. You'd make a great stand up comic. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta have that you gotta have that same mentality it's like i don't care if these people not laughing no only chuck has to feel that yeah. way all the comics they're actually <laughs> laughing at them no <laughs> so i'm delighted by how much physics you picked up in your life 
And, and as Gary said, a lot of it would have come intuitively to you if you didn't have the formal training. You were thinking about nature and forces and energy the right way. And on this show, we're delighted to learn when athletes throw in some math to, to, to get their medal. And so, Matt, it's been a pleasure to have you on this program. We will all be watching you in Tokyo. Yeah. And, and good, good luck, but it doesn't even sound like you need it. I'll take all the good luck. I appreciate you guys inviting <laughs> me onto the show. It's been amazing. I loved all the laughs. Thank you again. Well, thank you. We've got to take a quick break. I want to thank Matt Stutzman for being on for this segment. And when we return, we're going to have Dr. Skateboard on yet another one of our Olympic installments of Star Talk. We'll see you. How can you get your own Patreon shout-out like Michael Weber, Justin Nelson, and Mike Reno? Well, go to patreon.com slash startalkradio and support us. And thank you to Michael, Justin, and Mike, because without you, we couldn't do this show. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition. We're talking about the Olympics. And in this segment, we're going to address skateboarding. Yeah, I said it, skateboarding. It is a new Olympic sport. Yay! Gary. <laughs> Gary. <laughs> Uh, do we know anybody? Who did you who did you get for this segment? Well, the, there's only one telephone number that we needed. And this guy can drop the science and he can drop the tricks. This has to be Bill Robertson, a.k.a. Dr. Skateboard. Dr. Skateboard. Okay, anybody named Dr. Skateboard is, is fine by me. Okay. <laughs> Anna, so let's, let's give him his props, okay? PhD in education. Um, selected as a Fulbright Scholar. Okay. Nominated by the UTEP in 2000. UTEP, dude. I know you're British. That's UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso. Okay, thank you for UTEP for Professor of the Year. Ooh. He is a TED yes. Ooh, Professor he is a of TED the Year. Talker. Mm -hmm. I know the dude's got some chops. And then you give him a board, and he's two times US Masters champion, uh, 2013 and 14. He's three times Masters freestyle champion, and he is in the freestyle hall. Of so freestyle science. means you you do creative stuff that no one ever dreamt mm -hmm. of doing, and yep. and then you get remembered for it. Drop it like it's hot. Provided you don't die from it. Those the people. That's, <laughs> there's a selection effect mm. there. <laughs> yes. So Bill, Doctor Skateboard, um, I, I I resonate deeply with you because I know you're a science educator, and but in what ways have you folded skateboarding into that? Enterprise. I'd be delighted to learn how, how you figured that out. And I, at my notes here, it says you call it action science. So what's going on there? Yeah, well, so it, originally it started, I was a middle school teacher in New Mexico trying to, to get people interested in physical science concepts. And the kids at middle school was very difficult and challenging. They didn't like the traditional experiments. Uh, but one day I decided... It's I'd called hormones, yeah, just exactly. to be clear. Middle school. <laughs> it's uh, not that I choose... I don't think I like these traditional experiments. Yeah. That is not what's going through their head. No, not at for all. For sure. But, but bringing my board out, you know, made a, made a difference. And, you know, I could present things about forces, motion... You know, Newton's laws of motion and things we had to cover, and and they were they they really enjoyed it. So that sort of started my journey uh, with that. Um, you know, I've been a long time skateboarder and performer, so I just worked on the ideas of integrating you know uh, physical science concepts uh, related to forces, motion, Newton's laws of motion, and simple machines into that approach, and then it, it took off from there. Not only using uh, you know, skateboarding, but other action sports, you know, BMX and other ways to try to connect kids to things they're interested in and then also to the science so to put put if you will put the action science was putting physical science in the context of things young people like to do i love it an educator who can't stop telling people as carl sagan used to say when you're in love you want to tell the world and so you're in love with skateboarding and you just fold that into wherever you, whatever the lesson plan is going to be very good thank you you're not just shredding brah you're learning something. <laughs> okay. 
much. <laughs> so, Doctor, um, when we get to the Olympics, and like we said, it's a, it's a debut for skateboarding, you've got two categories, street and park. What? Now, what? I'm out. That's street, it. I'm, street I, I, skateboarding. Street skateboarding and park. Now, I mean, what can we expect from those two categories? So, so in both the disciplines of park and, and street skateboarding, you've got 40 of the best women and uh, men athletes in each area competing for Olympic medals. So it's it's going to be quite interesting. The, the street is primarily something you would see with rails and stairs and ramp. Yeah. It's a, and, and we have a, everything you've ever seen on YouTube, baby, <laughs> right now in the Olympics. That's right. Watch me grind this out, baby, for gold. I'm sorry. Well, no, the, the top athlete is uh, number one is really a, an American by the name of Nigel Houston, who uh, is all, is all over the place. And he's uh I think, uh, you know, our best chance for for gold, but that, that we have a strong team, both on the men and the women's side. And then in the parks, uh, you have really transition bowl riding, uh, bigger transitions, and uh, you have really a good team there as well. So they're, they're kind of two... Uh, unique disciplines in skateboarding. Wait, wait, not wait you didn't say bull. You didn't say bull riding. You said bowl riding. <laughs> yeah, I said bowl riding. Yes. Bowl. Bowl. Okay, where the sides are curved and you sort of rock up and back and forth. I know forth. I'm from okay. Texas no now, hoops. but you know it's uh, definitely <laughs> no hoofs and horns. So what what can we expect? What kind of tricks are we going to be seeing, and what kind of language are we going to be coming away? From? Please. And what part of Newton are you using the most? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of times it's, uh, you know, with this idea of action and reaction is one of the things that yeah. comes across in the in the science, you know, as they're uh, moving towards obstacles or, or working with the obstacles. Going back to your, uh, what, what can we expect? You know, you're going to see, I think, some really interesting things like uh, kick flip, blunt slides down rails. Uh, you're going to see 360 flips uh, across stairs. Uh, you're going to see in the bowls things like uh, uh, 540, the McTwist. Uh, you're going to see... Well, just to be clear, 540 is 360 plus 180? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so that would be a one and a half. Half. To, mm -hmm. So I just like the, 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 the geometric angular measure of this. Instead of saying it's one and a half flips, we're doing a 540. You're counting out the degrees. That's very good, very mathematical of you. Okay. And so, so I think that's the, that's the big thing. And then, and then the riders are going to have, you know, a timed runs and they'll, uh, you know, they'll be judged on not only their degree of difficulty, but their creativity and then probably their amplitude and, and a few other categories. So you can kind of tell, uh, you know, who's shining in those moments, but uh, it, you'll see the best riders in the world. I'm just curious. So in oh, the park portion, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, Neil. Real quick. Um, so I want to distinguish two things. Um, when I see skateboarding, and then I see in the Winter Olympics, they have the what is it called? Uh, snowboarding. 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 Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Half pipe. In the winter, yeah, in the half pipe. In the Winter Olympics, at all times, they are descending a hill. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whatever else they're doing in the middle of it, so they're using gravity as a force of their of their forward motion. Whereas in skateboarding. You are pumping your action almost the way you do on a swing, where how do you go from nothing to a big uh, uh, arc? You are pumping your own body energy into your motion. So is it true that all the skateboarding you're describing, maybe other than the going down the stairs, but the, the bowl skating, the, the park skateboarding, you're not going downhill. You are always pumping your own energy back into your new position. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. You know, you're going to be using the transitions uh, as a way to to push down them, to gain speed, and then to to go up the transition to bring yourself into the air. You'll you'll probably see very little pushing, uh, except as someone is moving through a trick. But they're going to be using uh, the the momentum of the obstacles. Uh, to to ride the bowls and to do the tricks and to create their. This is an important distinction then between the skateboarding and the snowboarding for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what's the most we can expect? Uh, because I read that it's an, during quarantine, an eleven-year-old threw a ten eighty into on a vertical ramp. Now, if an eleven-year-old can do it, Doctor Skateboard, surely the top people in the world should be working a lot harder. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think. Well, I got to do my math. A ten eighty. That's 
four? A lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> You're welcome. Right. In, in the IT world, 1080 is like the resolution 1080p. So a 1080, so Dr. Skateboard, tell me about a 1080. What is that? So a 1080 would be, you know, if you go 360s, one, 720, 1080. So it'd be three revolutions or three spins, uh, you know, on that. And, and you know, Gary, there's a, 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 a discipline that's called the mega ramp. Uh, it's not in the Olympics, but it's something they do. On, and that's how uh, this person was able to do that. These are much larger structures. And um, uh, so, you know, you really need the bigger space to do that. But you will see things here. I mean, conceivably, you know, 540s, 720s. Uh, you'll see a lot of uh, also motion where they're spinning, but they're also flipping their boards. So you'll see like kickflip burials, kickflip uh, McTwists, which are, you know, where you're spinning the board of 360 and you're spinning 540. Uh, so the degree of difficulty goes way up for that. Yeah, yeah. So so what about, uh, I don't know if it's going to be a part of it or not, but are the mega ramp vert, vert drops going to be a part of the competition. What what is that? Wait, I'll let Doctor Skateboard explain okay. it. You know, because he's the mega expert, ramp. But okay. So in, yeah. in mega uh, ramp, you have a, a a large ramp. It's probably I don't know six stories up. You drop, yes. drop down an incline. You hit a a ramp. There's a gap. It's usually fifty to seventy feet that they go across, and then they hit a huge quarter pipe. Uh, you know, which is probably fifteen to twenty feet high, and then they go fifteen to twenty feet high above it. Above um, and it. then they, they land, and if they're successful... Wait, wait, land. while doing tricks. While doing okay, tricks. Okay, so, th so that so, would be that would be a gravity-assisted maneuvers at that point. Yeah, yes. Got it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I guess that's in the next Olympics. <laughs> no, they, they, they've limited, you know, the types of skateboarding. So that's one of the things I think is both a plus and a criticism, is you've got these two disciplines of street and bull riding. But skateboarding is, you know, a much larger phenomenon that is actually not just a sport, it's a culture. And uh, it, it extends everywhere that people live and, and, and ride their boards. It's the hip-hop of sports. It really yeah, is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so have we, have we got any technology that's emerged in the last couple of years? Because it's been a couple of years since we last spoke. And we, we got into sort of like sealed bearings and things like that. But um, has anything new come in to make this sport even better? Yeah, Bill, in your educational circles, there's Newton's laws and then there's material science. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so mm -hmm. where, do you, where do you fold that in? Yeah, so the, the one thing about a skateboard is it's actually stayed pretty stable in its uh, components since the 1970s. And specifically with the advent of urethane wheels, it really uh, made a difference. And But the one thing you do see now in skateboarding is you see more... Uh, customized or, or different designs of deck shapes. So, so people are really using the width, uh, the length, and the, the wheelbase of decks to, uh, to, to differentiate themselves. But skateboarding has pretty much stayed the same uh, since we last talked. You know, it's, it's a board, two trucks, and four wheels, uh, you know, going through this. Now, the wheels can vary in hardness. Uh, you can have the sealed bearings. But I think ultimately, it's a, it's a pretty stable uh, technology. It's seven-ply laminate. Uh, you know, maple is typically what it's done. And then it's, you know, set under pressure to, to create a concave. And that's another big difference over the years. The, the concave or the con contours for the board have really helped uh, riders stay on their boards rather than just a flat board itself. Plus, if it, if it's, if it has that kind of give, you can, the energy that you goes into yeah. to deform it can be recovered when you jump off of it, right? As any good sort of spring action would be. Here's what I want. In 2028 Olympics, I'll give it one Olympic cycle to get there. I want the hoverboard event, okay? <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> hoverboard. You know they do have, wait, you know they do have a hoverboard. A third category. That was, yeah, that was actually um, sponsored by Lexus, where what's, they make a superconductor, and they make the hoverboard a ride on, like, that that superconductor where it levitates above this magnetic um, these magnetic uh, mm -hmm. rails and you ride the hoverboard mm -hmm. around their little track, um, but it's a skateboard. Okay, okay. Like, back to the so future. eight years, I'll give it. Eight years feels right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 Bill, I don't know how you feel about hoverboards. Well, well, you know, so me, I'm a, I'm a purist. You know, I kind of grew up in the, the old school, yeah. old school. So get off my lawn. I'm an old school guy, so you know, I'm a, I'm all about four wheels, two trucks, 
uh, board and and the ground as your uh, you know, your, your protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, uh, are, are you going to Tokyo? You know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to Tokyo, but I've been actually been working with some of the people from USA Skateboarding. Uh, have a couple friends who are, are involved with that, and I. Um, and so that it's been uh, staying in touch about what's happening and they're all preparing to leave here probably I think by July 23rd. And gotcha. So I mean it's de I'm delighted just first to have you on the show but also to know that your expertise is helping sort of America try to get some medals in this inaugural event and I think you know we've debated what sports maybe shouldn't be in the Olympics. Um, we, we that comes up often on this show. And one criterion I used was, might you have ever seen it on a Grecian urn? Like, would, would the Greeks have put it on an urn? I think they would have put skateboarding on the urn. What, what, yeah, what do you guys think? Yeah, a guy, guy in a tunic with a skateboard <laughs> giving you the hang loose sign. <laughs> what up, bro? <laughs> so, okay, Neil, let, let's think about, if, we, if we're talking classics here, yeah. which is the ancient Greek yeah. event, you think about the jumping, long jump, triple jump, things like that, that use Newton's laws yeah. of action, reaction. Yeah, yeah. This, this then has to reconnect to that classic action, reaction with skateboarding. So it does have some resonance back to... Yeah, yeah. So I think the Greeks would have been cool with it, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll I give you that. So yeah. All right, dude, we got to bring this to a close. Uh, Bill Robertson, thank you. For Dr. Skateboard. Uh, what a moniker that is. You, is this on your business cards? Yeah, well, I do have some business cards, but, you know, I've been doing it ever since I got my uh, my PhD. And, you know, really my mission has been to combine education with uh, with skateboarding, to, to reach out to marginalized students, but also to give, you know, uh, pathways to success for students and, and education to the things they like to do. So well, that's really what Dr. Skateboard's all about. So you've got a TED Talk. Yeah. Any other place we can find you online? Yeah, you can go to drskateboard.com. Uh, got all oh, well, there. Okay. I'm on, there. Okay. I'm, on uh, okay. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> Can't get and, any uh, better than that. Can't get any better than that. Okay. Yeah. Nowhere to find you. Uh, very excellent. We're delighted to uh, showcase your work here. And so thanks for being on Star Talk. Yeah. Thank you all for having me. You know, Neil, it's a pleasure. Uh, Chuck, Gary, thank you so much. And uh, it's really my honor to be to be associated with Star Talk. And thank you for all the good work y'all are doing. All right. All right. So this has been another sort of Olympic explainer, the inaugural appearance of skateboarding in the Tokyo Olympics. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. Keep looking up. Mm -hmm.